That song always reminds me of a story I heard of, uh, about Charles Spurgeon. Someone once asked him, what's one thing you're looking forward to when you get to heaven? And he said, I hope to find a nice corner on a street where I can stand and tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love for eternity. And I thought, I always think, man, it'd be cool to sit there and listen to Spurgeon tell the story of Jesus and his love. Um, but we're going to be looking at the text that Jake read for us this morning. Um, and we're mostly going to focus on verses 12 through 18. But we're going to be touching on some of the other things that James talks about in this chapter. Uh, so before we do that, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful morning. We come together and sing of you and to bring you praise and worship, Lord. What a joy it is to come into your house with fellow believers and to, to worship you. Lord, I ask that you would just come and minister to each and every one of us today, myself included, Lord. And um, As we delve into this text, please give us a better understanding of you and um, who you are and what you would have for us to do in our lives, Lord. Father, we love you. We love to serve you. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so, in this world, we have a very real and present enemy. And despite what some of you may believe, it's not China. And it is not Russia. And it is definitely not secular America, even though it seems to be a more prominent enemy day to day. Uh, in fact, this enemy is the devil, and the devil is very real. The devil has many tools that he uses to try and get Christians to sin. Um, some of these tools include lying. He will whisper falsities into your ear. Some of these tools include accusations. He will accuse you of things you've done in the past and continually bring them up. One of his tools is guilt. He loves to play the guilt card on Christians. And, um, but today we're going to look at a specific tool of his um, called temptation. Now, temptation is something that every Christian deals with every day of their life. And it is one of his most dangerous tools because it is so prevalent in our lives. And I think it is very important to have a good understanding of this in order to do battle against it. Um, if we don't know our enemy, how can we defeat them? Um, so if there's nothing else I want that you take away from this message this morning, I want it to be this. The devil is real. He does speak to you. He does speak into your lives. He follows you around and tries to get you to sin. And just being aware of that, I think, gives you a step up in this battle. So we're going to look at temptation from a couple of different, different angles. First, we're going to look at what is temptation. I'm going to try my best to describe it. Then we're going to talk about how to identify temptation. And then finally, we're going to have talk about how to resist or to overcome temptation. So first off, let's look at what is temptation. A definition that I came up with to try and help explain this is temptation is an enticement toward evil, a solicitation of our passions with the prospect of pleasure or advantage, Basically, it's the act of being drawn or lured towards sin, and unfortunately, it happens to each and every one of us every day. Now, in this text, James kind of talks about trials and temptations, and you hear those both those words tied together a lot. 
Um, but it's, it's important to understand temptations are not trials. Um, trials are different in a different way, and um, I'm, I'll briefly explain that since uh, that's not really where we're going today. But in this text, like I said, James touched on both of them. Trials are, some of the important things to know about trials are they are God-ordained. Um, it's part of God's plan for you to go through trials and hardships, and he brings them into our lives in order to teach us specific things. He'll bring trials into our lives to strengthen our faith. He'll bring trials into our lives to increase our trust in him and to help that to grow. Um, they could range from anything from a loss of a loved one uh, to a loss of a job. It could be you sustain an illness, an injury, um, something that affects your life in a way that the outcome is that you draw nearer to Christ by going through that situation, whether that is learning to, like I said, put all your trust in him, um, not turn on your own understanding, not lose heart. These are all different things that God tries to teach us through trials. Um, but ultimately, the outcome is for you, well, the, the reason he sends them to us is so that we come out the other end stronger, and by through that, he is also glorified. Um, James says trials are a good thing. Even though they seem like a hardship, they are a good thing because they, um, they purify us. Peter talks about um, trials being like going through a refiner's fire, where a refiner's fire, you know, when they melt metals down in a pot, there's a liquid molten metal and all the impurities float to the top and they can screen them off, or they're just burned up altogether. And that's kind of what happens to us when we go through trials. The impurities are being purged out of us. Um, and it's even similar to tempering steel. If you want to strengthen steel, you heat it red hot with fire, and if, once it's cooled, it'll become stronger than before. So that's basically what trials are, but the, one of the important things to know is trials are sent by God. Now, temptations, on the other hand, are not sent by God. If you see here in James 1.13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So this is an important point when it comes to identifying and recognizing temptation, because it's important to know that God does not send temptations into our lives. Wouldn't that be an awful thing if God tempted us to sin? Like that would, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, were to actually use that against us, that would be horrifying. And what a joy it is that he doesn't do that. He only sends us hardships in order to strengthen us, not to weaken us and to cause us to sin. Um... But it is also important to know that even though temptations don't come from God, God will allow us to be tempted. It's for a similar reason as a trial. He, he'll, allow us to, he'll allow Satan to tempt us to, in the end, strengthen us um, so that we will overcome these temptations and come out stronger on the other side. Sometimes they may be to remind us of our need for him and how uh, we need to rely upon him to get through these situations. Um, and when we do overcome temptations, God is greatly glorified. And that's going to be a big theme throughout this is through these situations, God is glorified. God is glorified. God is glorified. Um, if you think of Job, the story of Job, Satan comes to God and asks God if he could send hardships on this man, Job. See, Job was a wealthy man. He had a lot of possessions. He was doing very well for himself, but he also feared God greatly. 
And Satan says to God, well, I think the only reason Job loves you is because you've blessed him so much. Let me take away all those things from Job, and we'll see what happens. And God says, okay. And so all these hardships fall upon Job. He loses everything. Everyone forsakes him. His friends tell him to forsake God. His wife tells him to curse God and die. And what does Job say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Those words should ring true in all of our minds when we're going through temptations. When we've lost everything, to be able to stand up and say that with, your, with all your heart. Uh, we see it in uh, Luke 22 when um, Satan, well, Jesus says to Peter before he's being crucified, Jesus knows he's about to be arrested and tried and uh, eventually crucified. And he says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So what Jesus doesn't say to Peter is, Satan is asked to sift you, and I told him, no, he's not allowed to sift you. No, he says, I will, I'm going to allow this to happen, but I'm going to pray for you that you'll be strengthened through this. And he, he even knows that Peter's going to fail because he says, when you return to me. He doesn't say, if you pass this, then you'll strengthen your brother. And he says, no, Peter, I know you're going to fail, but when you return to me, you're going to come back even the stronger, and you're going to have this, this testimony to share with your brethren for the rest of your life. So it is important to also know that God will allow Satan to tempt us. Because if he didn't, then Satan would never be allowed to tempt us because God is all-powerful. But we also need to remember that God himself will never send direct temptation our way. It doesn't come from him. It comes from the devil. Look at verse 14 of our text. It says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So you see, temptation comes from a, diff a couple different um, a couple different avenues. One would be our flesh, which James talks about here. The other one would be the devil, which we're going to get into a little, a little more in a little bit. But let's start with our flesh. How are ways that our flesh can tempt us? Um, well, we all have fleshly desires. And um, when we use the term flesh, we're talking about our sinful nature, the part of us that is, um, identifies with the world. Um, because we are all fallen, even though we are, we are saved, we have a new heart, we still carry around with us um, fleshly desires and remaining sin. And these can be a, a strong temptation to us. Um, fleshly desires could inc include wealth. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a greedy person to have a temptation towards wealth. It could just be um, when you, when you over, overspend, overspend time um, chasing success and fulfillment and um, money that's not necessarily needed. Um, fleshly desires could include hobbies. You know, a lot of people have a lot of hobbies. Now, I'm certainly one of them. And uh, we have to be careful not to be drawn more into those hobbies and drawn further away from God. Um, for, for men, it could be women. You could have a weakness towards women and not being able to keep your eyes where they need to be. Uh, for also men, it could be toys. We love trucks, 
four-wheelers, dirt bikes, boats, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anything that could draw you further away from, from God that isn't necessarily a sin, but it still is a temptation to, um, that, that, to use your time unwisely. Uh, for women, it could be shopping. I don't really get it, but it could be, you know. Um, it could even be pleasure. You know, pleasure is a big temptation in our time. You always have to be doing something. You always have to have the next thing planned and going and going and going. And all of those things draw you a little further and further away from God if you put too much time into any one of them. And then there's also remaining sin. Remaining sin is uh, something that each and every one of us have in us because we were born into sin. We were born as fallen creatures. In Ephesians, Paul considers us children, speaks of us as children of wrath, not children of God. And if you ever spend time with a two or three year old, you'll understand this very clearly. We were born as children of wrath. But praise be to God that he saved us and he did give us a new heart. Um, and he's slowly changing us into his image, but he hasn't perfected us. And he never will perfect us on this, on this life, in this lifetime. Um, so we still have these rev- remnants of, of sin and the effect that sin had on our, on our, on our beings and our um, personalities. Um, and the same sins that plagued our lives when we weren't saved still sometimes resurface even after we are. And these are things that we need to we need to guard against, but also we need to be honest and identify them so we can help to overcome them. And God does give us grace to overcome sins, and He has helped us. I'm sure every believer here could name things that they could say. I used to be this way, and that doesn't. It's not really something I struggle with anymore. It's still there. The temptation sometimes comes, but I've gotten much better at overcoming it. Um, it's, not, it's not something that defines me as who I am anymore. And what, what a grace that is from God, that he does help change us. Um, but there are some that it seems like they will never be eradic- eradicated from our life, um, that we, we kind of will always tend to have trouble with. And these are the very sins that we need to be on the lookout for. Um, so it takes, it takes a lot of self um, Seek, seek your own soul. See and identify the things that you struggle with. And like I said, you, you need to be brutally honest with yourself. Um, now, the other big, big, uh, I don't know how to say this. The other way that temptation comes to us is from the devil. Um, now, the devil is a very real being. From the beginning of this world, he has made it his goal to tempt image bearers of God. He can't tempt God. He knows he can't cause God to sin. So he goes after his children, the next best thing. He went after Adam and Eve very first, right off the bat. Um, And who knows what his motivation is? Is it jealousy? Is it anger towards God for casting him out of heaven? Is it the desire for power, his pride? Who knows? But for some reason, he has made it his goal to tempt the image bearers of God, and he's become really, really good at it. And um, it brings him great pleasure to cause us to sin. In a twisted way, he, he knows that he can't draw a believer out of the hands of God once he's been saved, but he still tries to just make a, a slight separation 
and a slight separation. He, he tries to just put a little space between us and God. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, Be sober, meaning be mindful, be wise, be careful, pay attention, look out, be vigilant, be watchful, be on your guard, always, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So you see, we need to be alert. We need to be on guard. We need to watch and always be ready for him to make his next move. You see, I know that the devil is much more, um, much more involved in our lives than we like to think about or give um, him credit for. And I think a lot of that is because we don't like to think about things that make us uneasy or nervous or even scared. But it's, he's a force that needs to be reckoned with. He's always watching us. He's always watched us ever since we were little children. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that we struggle with. He knows the sins that easily ensnare us. And he knows exactly when and how to tempt us. He, uh, you know, you know when, when the Satan came and tempted Jesus in the desert, he didn't come to him on day one. He came to him after 40 days of hunger and exhaustion. He hadn't slept well probably in weeks parched of thirst and that's when the devil came and attacked him so it's not when you're at your best when you should expect these strong temptations it's usually when you're at your worst and he'll wait for that time and he'll set up those times and I'll try to help explain that a little bit too as we go forward but we need to learn to identify his voice and what that means is when a thought pops into your head we need to be able to discern if that thought came from the Holy Spirit's guiding influence over our lives, or if that's the devil trying to influence, influence us down his road. And these are very important things to do, and the better you, you get at recognizing his voice, the better you'll get at fighting and resisting temptation. So you may ask then, well, how do we know when we're being tempted? How do we know who's speaking into our lives? Are we able to know? You know, what exactly does it look like? Well, that's kind of hard to explain because for every person, it's something different. We all have very individual weaknesses, um, but I'll try to give some examples to kind of help show this. Um, have you ever been going about your day when a thought pops into your head out of nowhere that is just blatantly, clearly evil? Like you maybe you're leaving work and your boss just reamed you out for something you, had, you didn't do at all, but you got falsely accused for it and you're driving home just fuming. You're just thinking, man, that guy, I don't know, I wish I could just get back to him. And then you're, the thought pops in your head, well, you know he's deathly allergic to peanuts. What if you put peanuts in his salad tomorrow in the fridge at work? And then you, you, you fantasize about that a little bit. Well, maybe he'll get really sick. Maybe he'll even die. And then all of a sudden you, you snap back to reality and say, wait a minute, what in the world was that? That's not me. Well, I, I like to call those the devil's Hail Marys where he just goes for broke, and sometimes you just get a wild, out-of-this-world, evil thought. And usually they don't succeed because they're so irrational, but sometimes they do. He does win on some of those. You know, think of the guy who then the next day goes into his workplace with a gun and shoots his boss. You know, that's because the devil lobbed a Hail Mary and it was caught. Or a kid goes into a school and starts shooting people because he was bullied. 
You know, sometimes these Hail Marys work. But most of the time, the devil is much more subtle than that. He comes at us little by little, just chipping away, chipping away, trying to get his foot in the door. So instead, maybe you're on your way home from work on a Friday night, and all of a sudden thoughts start coming in your mind of how Friday night used to be a good time for me. I used to go out, get wild with my friends, you know, and I bet, you know, I bet this Friday night they're probably getting wild. Maybe I should call them up and see what's going on, go have some fun with them. You know, maybe you're in, your com- in a conversation, and suddenly out of the blue a thought pops in your mind um, of a, a, a juicy piece of gossip that you heard that completely unrelated to the situation that you're talking to someone about, but you just, you just got to tell them about it. You just got to share it. That's the devil speaking in your ear. Maybe you like to stretch the truth when you're talking to someone. Out of pride, you like to make yourself sound better um, in a conversation, and you're talking to someone, and all of a sudden you start hearing in your ear, well, tell them about when you did that. Tell them about how you did this. Tell them about that thing that happened to you. You know, what do you think that is? That's the devil speaking right into your ear. Maybe you're as a guy, you, you have trouble look, with looking at women to lust after them. And all of a sudden, you're sitting at your desk at work, and the good-looking girl across the hall drops something and bends over to pick it up, and rather than divert your eyes, you look down her shirt. And the, the thought pops in your mind, well, it's okay to look as long as you don't touch. You know, what is that? It's not okay. All, all cases of a man being unfaithful to his wife started with just a look. You know, and that's how the devil comes at you, quick. Temptation will come quick, so you need to be on guard. You need to prepare beforehand so that when those times come, you know exactly what your plan is to avoid it. Or it could be something as simple as you're having your devotions, and you pick up your phone to look up something that pertains to your devotions, and all of a sudden you get a notification. Hey, someone tagged you on Facebook. Or, hey, there's a new YouTuber video out. Or, hey, check this out. And all of a sudden you find yourself spending 30 minutes scrolling a news feed or watching videos about butterflies, and next thing you know, your devotion time is all used up. So the devil works in so many different ways to tempt us, and um, he's, he's in it for the long haul. His goal is for you to somehow abandon your faith. And he does that little by little by little. And each time you give in to one of his temptations, and he creates a little bit of space between you and God. But thankfully, by the grace of God, we have an opportunity for repentance when we sin, and we have an opportunity to come for forgiveness, and that space is closed right up. However, it's his hope, the devil's hope, that this one time maybe he won't go seek forgiveness, maybe he won't repent, and maybe the next time I can go a little further and a little further, and eventually maybe he'll get another saint to forsake their faith. And look at verse 14 in our passage. But but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Excuse me. So he's trying to draw us away from Christ, little by little by little. And the scary part is that sometimes he does succeed in this. In fact, it seems like he succeeds a lot more nowadays. And it all starts with tiny little temptations. Um, these temptations don't even necessarily have to be sin. Um, imagine one Sunday morning you wake up and you are just exhausted. You had a long week. You were up late the night before. You kind of slept in even. 
and all of a sudden the pop, thought pops in your head, hey, is it not written on the seventh day God rested? Shouldn't you just stay home and rest? You know, it's not a sin to skip church. So what is that? That's the devil misquoting scripture right to you, and that's one of his favorite things to do. No, it's not a sin to miss church, but if you miss church, doesn't it feel like, doesn't it feel like that week kind of has a, a shadow hanging over it all week? I don't know about you guys, but it seems like those are the weeks when you'll more likely see your devotion life kind of be a little more sparse, your prayer life be a little more sparse. And those are the weeks that Satan moves in to start tempting you. So like I said, he'll set up situations that he knows down the road they're going to be prime for temptation. Now, like I said before, the devil loves to quote scripture to you. But the thing to watch out for is to almost always misquote it or speak it out of context. And we see that in Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted. The devil takes him up to the, to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down. The angels, it's written, the angels will pick you up and carry you down to the ground nice and gently. And Jesus instantly knew that's not at all what that text is talking about. And he comes back with his own text. But, however, unfortunately, that's not necessarily where the devil's treachery ends. Um, do we have 2 Corinthians 11? Or should we turn to that? Oh, yeah, cool, okay. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul gives a pretty ominous warning here to the Corinthian church. He was dealing with a situation where false teachers were coming to the church in Corinth and proclaiming themselves to be apostles, having a new message from God. So that's what Paul's dealing with when he says this to the Corinthians. For such, meaning these false teachers, are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So what is he saying here? What he's saying is, Satan will come at us disguised as an angel of light or even a minister of righteousness, meaning he will come just disguised as preachers, teachers, or even disguised as the Holy Spirit himself. And he does this in a couple different ways. Um, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sins in our lives. He lovingly, through our conscience, points out areas that we need to continue to work on in our lives. And this is all part of our sanctification process. He shows us sin, and we are to repent of it, we're to seek forgiveness, and then, um, like I said, this, this furthers our sanctification process. But the devil, on the other hand, will disguise himself as the Holy Spirit and point out these sins in an accusatory way. He'll bring up past sins that we've committed, even sins that we've been forgiven of. But his goal here is to cause us to despair or even to doubt our, our salvation altogether. Um, another role of the Holy Spirit is to guide you through life, um, to, to lead you according to God's will. We're to be praying for him to um, show us his will in our lives, to when we have a decision to make, to open doors, to show us um, which, which way he would like for us to go. Um, now, the devil will do the same thing and attempt to guide you through life, showing you, hey, look, this door's open, but truthfully, that door wasn't opened by, by the Holy Spirit. Um, so we, we need to be very careful because he will speak into our lives trying to tempt us into um, way, false ways, ways that we aren't supposed to go. 
And he can succeed. Because look at the Corinthian church. He had them all duped into believing that these false teachers were actually apostles sent from God. And truthfully, it wasn't just then that, that was happening. This is happening today as well. I mean, if you look at the church in America, there's still false teachers coming forth saying, we're apostles from God. We have a new message from God. And it's happening today. And people are believing them. By the, by the hordes, people are believing them. You know, even today, Satan has entire dominion, or dominions, dominations now duped into believing that it's biblical for women to stand up and preach on a Sunday morning, or even yet to pastor a church. What is that? That's deception. There are people standing up claiming to be prophets with messages from God. In fact, during the last election over the Internet, there were, there were prophets everywhere saying, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. Well, what happened? What happened to that prophecy? Well, now there, it was unclear. It's actually 2024 he's going to be reelected. You know, These are all false, pre, false people coming um, in, in the name, you know, proclaiming to be in the name of Christ. But uh, it's all lies and deception. Tons and tons of people are believing these lies, too. And that's how the devil works. He starts with a little lie, and then he starts with another little lie, and another little lie, until you see this where over half of a country is deceived. And where did it all begin? Where did it all start? How did we get here? Well, it all began with this, this line right here. Didn't God say you could eat of any tree in the garden? Well, God said we can't eat of that tree or else we'll die. You won't surely die. God's holding back from you. He knows if you eat of that tree that you're going to be like him and you'll be able to see everything and you'll know everything. You see, if God or if Satan could convince an unfallen image bearer of God to fall into sin, then for us fallen image bearers of God, it's a piece of cake. Um, and we still hear that same inkling voice today. He'll come to us saying, is that really what Scripture says? Does that really what the Bible says? I don't know. This, this pastor, this theologian over here, he interprets it a little differently, and I kind of like that interpretation a little better. These things in this old dusty book here, they're just based on traditions that people held in the first century civilizations. They don't really pertain to us today. Why shouldn't two men be able to marry each other? They love each other, and God is love. Why shouldn't a woman be able to end the life of a human being in her womb? God is love. He wants this woman to feel happy. He wants her to be fulfilled. See, these issues weren't around in Jesus' day, so he didn't speak into them. And if he would, I think he would have, but he would have stood with, it, with this lady here who, wants to be, um, who doesn't want th this human to upset her life. You see, it's sad that the majority of people in this country are deceived in the way that they are. And it doesn't just stop with unbelievers. There's many evangelicals who are deceived as well. And we need to be careful that we're not included and caught up in that deception. Like I said before, temptation comes very, very subtly. But then as Satan gains ground, he gets more and more comfortable, he gets more and more bold, and the lies get bigger and bigger and bigger. So like Peter says, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant, and we need to be watching all the time. We need to be discerning. We need to learn to tell the voice and to be able to determine the voice of the Holy Spirit versus the voice of Satan. You may say, well, how in the world do we do that if he knows us so well and he comes at us when we're at our weakest? Well, there's ways that we can do that. 
there's ways and there's tools that God has given us to help in this fight. The first one being the Word of God. The book sitting on your lap right there. Whenever you're encountering a temptation and you're, you're, Satan quotes scripture to you, open this book. See what it says. It has the answer for every one of these questions. The whole book, though, not just one text taken out of context like he'll try to get you to, to think. We need to be avid Bible students. That means not making your devotion life look like you sit down, you read your chapter, you pray for five minutes, you go about your day. You know, it's, it's so much better to read one verse, fully digest it, fully understand it, chew on it for a couple days until you, you have that, the, the, the meaning of that verse imprinted in your heart for the rest of your life. That's so much better than trying to read the Bible in a year. You see what I'm trying to say? When a temptation comes to you and, and a scripture pops in your head like, oh, what does that mean? Maybe, I, maybe it is okay to do this. The next day when you're in your devotion time, look into that. Find that text. Try to bring that to light and see what exactly the Bible says about that. Because when you know the Bible well and Satan whispers into your ear, you're able to detect that lie almost instantly. You may not be able to quote the book or the chapter or the verse where the Bible speaks against that, but something in your mind will say, no, wait a minute, that's not true. That's not in the Bible. I know what the word says, and it doesn't say that. So the next time, like I said, when you, when you um, are presented with a lie, take the time to study it out. Um, like, for instance, it's, what, I mean, how many people in churches today believe it's okay to sleep with your girlfriend or to live with your girlfriend? You know, you're covered with grace. It is, not, is it not written? You're covered with grace. Your sins have been forgiven. Go and do what you want. Well, no, it's not. Open your Bible and read that. The other tool that God gives us in battling temptation is prayer. And honestly, prayer is our very first defense. It doesn't matter if you're at your desk at work. It doesn't matter if you're working on a roof, you're driving in your car, or you're in your bed at night. When temptation comes, turn to God. Cry out to him. Ask for mercy. Ask for protection from this temptation. Ask for him to strengthen them. You see, there's a, there's a reason why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he really only told them to ask for four things in your day. Ask for food, ask for your sins to be forgiven, and then ask to be led not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And those last, four, those last two, you could almost um, you know, combine into one. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. And because you see, Jesus knew that we would be facing temptation daily. That was one of the things that we need to pray for daily. And that it is an extremely powerful thing. And it's something that every Christian is going to struggle with. So we need to be praying about it. And we should also take comfort in knowing that Jesus can sympathize with our temptations. You know, because even though James tells us God cannot be tempted, you cannot tempt God, and people may be led to believe, well, if God can't be tempted, how can he sympathize with me? How does he, he has no idea what it's like to be tempted to look at a woman to lust after her or to lie about something or to cheat on your taxes. But 
and truth of the matter is, Jesus knew temptation stronger than any human ever has. Because when we're presented with temptation and we give in, it's like we're taking the easy road out. You see what I'm saying? If you, were a, if you withstand that temptation day after day after day after day, how hard would that be? And Jesus did that his entire life. He withstood temptation every time it was presented to him, and he never, he never faltered. And he was certainly tempted. He was a man. He, was, he, he had human nature, but he never gave in. So our prayer lives need to reflect, um, reflect our desires as far as how um, you know, we're going to battle this. We need to, it, to me, it seems like a prayer life is almost directly correlated with your ability to resist temptation. I find that the days that I wake up tired and I have a, a, poor, a poor prayer session for sometimes three days in a row, that's when temptation starts to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So stay in the word. Continue to talk to God and walk with him. Walk nearly with him. Um, make sure you give that time to have an active and fervent prayer life. Um, and when you do, these temptations will become way easier to recognize um, and to resist. Um, and like I said, we should be praying earlier, or like I said earlier, we should be praying as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Um, how, th by doing this study, it, it really encouraged me to pray that prayer every morning uh, specifically. So as Christians, we need to identify the sins that we struggle with and pray specifically for those sins throughout the day. Father, please don't lead me into this specific temptation. Please protect me. When that, when that temptation comes, please give me the strength to withstand. Please help me to get through it. Please help me to avoid it. And then from there, we should come up with plans um, of how we can avoid becoming into situations where we're going to be tempted. You know, maybe avoid a conversation with that certain person at work who always gets you fired up. And then you're ready to just go hit someone after you're done talking to them. You know, or maybe listen to something different on the ride home. Don't listen to the pop country radio station that's all about getting drunk and hanging out with hot girls. You know, listen to a sermon on the way home. That'll help avoid some temptation. Avoid any of those websites that have... You know, maybe a good website, but then all the way on both sides, it's all ads of junk and garbage, and it just leads your mind down all kinds of terrible roads. You know, avoid these kind of things. There's ways that we can plan in the beginning of our day to help avoid temptation. And then prepare yourself for the fight, because the fight comes. It comes every day, and we need to resolve in our mind beforehand that we're not going to give in. And when you do that, it actually gives you a big step up when, when you come face-to-face -face with temptation. Um, there's a reason why coaches give a motivational speech before you know, the, the last quarter of a football game. You guys need to get out there and do it. Come on, stand up, be tough, fight, fight, fight. And that's what you need to do to yourself every morning. Be, just motivate yourself to do this, and it actually really helps. Um, you won't fall for the devil's lies as easily. When temptation comes, you'll be able to resist them. And with everything inside of you, you need to muster your strength and refuse to give in. And God will give you the grace to do this. James tells us that we need to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a pretty comforting notion. We're not in this fight helpless. You know, if we are able to resist the devil, he will turn tail and run. 
you know, but he doesn't run far. In Matthew, when, when he was done tempting Jesus, it says something along the lines, the devil retreated and waited for a better time or another time. You know, so he's never going to leave you alone, but the better we get at defending ourselves, the better we are going to be at overcoming these temptations. So finally, let's look at verse 12 of our text here. And James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And this here is what our goal is. The crown, the gift of eternal life. And glorifying God in the process. You see, every time that we're able to stand against one of these temptations and, and win, it's first off, it's an amazing feeling. You know, when, when, you've, when you've been presented with a temptation over and over and you feel terrible every time you give in and then one time it comes and you're able to withstand, that's an immense feeling. But also, the thought that it gives God the glory trumps that tremendously. Think of how, well, how much God is glorified when he sees us doing something he's tried to teach us to do. Like if you, if you have children and you tried teaching them to do something and then all of a sudden one day they do it, it's like your heart just explodes with pride. You know, and you think of that like how God sees us as our children. He's trying to teach us to do things, and then when we finally do it, you know, how proud we must make him. Now, sadly, we're, we're not going to be able to resist every time, and we are going to fall and fail. But thanks be to God that we have this amazing blanket of mercy and grace, and we can run back to the Father, we can ask forgiveness, and he gives it to us. He's willing and waiting there to give it to us. But at the same time, I want to warn you, don't let, make, don't let grace make you lazy to the point where you just continue to, to give in to these temptations without any fight because you know you're going to be forgiven in the end of the day. So why not just, just keep doing what I'm doing? That doesn't give God the glory. Instead, how many times in Scripture do we see stand up, fight, run the race, don't give in, wage war against sin? Don't give up, friends. Continue to fight every day. It's coming every day. Because when we win those battles, God is glorified. And isn't that our chief goal in life, is to bring God glory? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all the good mercies and blessings that you poured out on us, Lord. Thank you for sending your Son Thank you for sacrificing his life that we, we could have this eternal life, Lord. And Lord, if we could do one thing in this lifetime, it would be to, to, give, to bring you glory, Lord, and to serve you well. Please help us in this area of temptation, Lord. Please give each and every person here, myself included, mostly, the strength to stand when the devil comes whispering, Lord. Give us wisdom to discern between his voice and your voice, Lord. Help us and lead us down your path of righteousness, Father. Please continue to just walk beside us every day, protect us, and guard us, Lord. We pray these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.